This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello! Uh, on tonight's episode, we are looking at an anime, which is obviously rather first in cinema is May, so I guess this makes this uh, feature our Anna May uh, selection. Right. <laughs> I had to, and, and we didn't even plan it like that, so it's worked out quite well. We're looking at anime in May, so um, we are looking this time at Stephen's selection, which is the place promised in our early days, um, which is directed by the same director of Your Name, Makoto Shinkei, who is a name that's either going to fill you either with much excitement or perhaps some dread, depending on if you've uh, seen this selection or not, but. Be, uh, before we obviously get into tonight's uh, pick, I mean, Stephen, I mean, obviously, since our episode, has anything been holding your attention at all in the exciting world of Asian cinema? Well, I had a whole bunch of stuff arrive through the post in the last month that I will probably talk about next time because I've been busy. But I did watch, I want to say, an interesting Cambodian thriller actually directed by a guy from India called Mind Cage, which I'll be reviewing, and that'll be up on old um, uh, Eastern Kicks, hopefully fairly soon. Um, interesting in the sense that it was a psychological thriller in a very Asian sense, but it didn't rely on the normal tropes of the supernatural, even though it's a kind of supernatural world versus the, the scientific world, you know, the old versus the new classic think like something like the whaling or something like that that, that that's that's the kind of um opposition i was expecting but it ended up as a very psychological thing it's fairly low budget quite well filmed i won't spoil it the same whether i liked it or not but that was that's the main thing this month okay um well for myself it's a i don't know what it's been but it's been a bit of a, a quiet month around i guess for both of us couple of news bits that have obviously come up uh, Netflix have announced a new anime series called Baki which uh, is currently being touted as being as intense as Fist of the North Star so a real throwback to some classic anime there so um, from what we see in the trailer there's lots of violence and weird martial arts moves uh, yet to see if people are just going to be randomly exploding in this one but uh, the trailer is obviously out there for that on the more worrying side of things, we got our first look at Godzilla anime's Mecha Godzilla, which is going to be appearing in the second instalment, which is going to be out soon. Uh, currently titled Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. Um, I have to say, I'm kind of worried by this one, and this isn't going, this isn't boding well, seeing as how diverse the um, initial. Godzilla anime, the first part was uh, for fans. Well, some people liked it, a lot of people hated it. Um, there was much mentions of futuristic scooty puffs being used. It was uh, a bit of a mess, and we were hoping that it would sort of clawed itself back with the second part. But looking at this design for the Mecha Godzilla, which we actually put up on the Facebook page for uh, for the Asian Cinema Film Club. So you can look at it there. Um, this looks kind of like uh, the Michael Bay designs for the Decepticons. 
And uh, I'm still trying to look on the, I'm looking at this designer, and it doesn't appear to have a head, which is even more worrying. So I'm kind of keen to see how that turns out when it's actually released in a couple of months. Um, but all around, it's for some reason it's been very sort of quiet on the on the on the watching front. I don't know what it what it is. Um, why we just obviously haven't got a huge amount uh, amount watched this month, but. Obviously, uh, next month, hopefully, we will uh, have a few more things for you. I mean, have you sort of been picking up anything? I mean, there's been quite a few interesting releases. I mean, obviously, Fairwind Films have uh, released anti-porno, finally. So, great for me, bad for you. Yeah, I still picked it up. <laughs> Even though I, um, I I think I want to revisit it. Okay. Um, I found it kind of shallow and a bit sixth formery. What I'm wondering is, um, maybe I was a bit mean on it. Um, I think I said I watched one Whispering Star, didn't I, in the last episode? Yes. So that's a review that I have to write for, for my own website if I get round to it. Kurosawa's Cure came out, which is I'm absolutely delighted about. It's one of the first films, sort of Japanese, modern Japanese films I ever watched, and that along with Pulse is really one of the, the reasons I'm here right now. Um, I never thought it would come out as a UK release and uh, so I'm going to be diving into that and exploring that and the one thing I do have that came to the letterbox the other day I was um, Arrow have just done a release of uh, Kao Matsuo's Bloodthirsty trilogy which is basically Toho's version of Hammer Horror Okay. Um, so it's three films in a nice little set I don't really know anything about it I think it's got people who love it and people who think, what's this low-budget crap? So I'm all for low-budget crap tonight, some um, choice notwithstanding. So okay. maybe I'll have a talk about that next time. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, from the news uh, side of things, there's quite a lot of exciting projects, obviously, upcoming. Um, Netflix, again, I mean, they've, they're boasting a whole bunch of live-action anime, Um we obviously had the release of MD Psycho. Um, the latest one, live action one that they're releasing, is Kakiguri, uh, which is uh, coming soon to the stream catalog. We haven't actually gotten a date for that one yet, but the trailers are obviously out for that as well. Um, we also received the exciting news that Sion Sono is going to be making his English language debut um, with Prisoners of the Ghostland, a post apocalyptic action thriller, and starring one Nicolas Cage. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> I mean, is this going to be like a Werner Kinski sort of pairing? Um, because Nicolas Cage is he's either fantastic or he's bored. These are the two moves that he seems to be in at the minute. And when he's bored, he tends to try to find ways to amuse himself, it would seem. Um, I'm, I mean, I like Nicolas Cage. I feel he's unfairly beaten down because he's obviously done a lot of projects to pay off that that tax bill was it or i think so yeah i mean um, <laughs> and he's, he's probably the word the, the, the one of those people he's won an oscar yeah he's got uh early on in his career um he's got a pretty good cohen brothers film under his belt he's got a solid number of films in the 90s which were popular but frankly shit <laughs> but, but you know he, he had star power and then he sort of become relegated to straight to video nonsense and being a meme 
I'm 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 kind of worried, but then I wonder if he's put you know if Sion can execute some control over him. The guy's the guy's got screen presence, hasn't he? And um, maybe he can do something with it. I don't, do we know anything about the the film? I mean, post-apocalyptic action thriller just sounds like straight to video to me. <laughs> I mean, the fantasy of Sono. It... I mean, it's hard to say whenever we have like a Japanese or an Asian director come over and do their English language debut, how it's going to be received. I mean, when we had uh, Patrick Mook come over and do Stoker, I mean, do you remember that getting a cinema release? It sort of blink and you miss it, it as I remember. It flitted in and out, but it was very much, uh, I guess, what we would call like an art house film, wasn't it? Um, uh, what was the uh, what was the Arnold Schwarzenegger film that? Um, was it Jong Hun Boom did? Um, which I thought was alright. Um, okay. Well, I mean, looking at the the plots and notes they've given here, it's going to focus on the notorious criminal hero, played by, here by Nicolas Cage, who is sent to rescue an abducted girl who has disappeared into a dark supernatural universe. They must break the evil curse that binds them and escape the mysterious revenants that rule the ghostland, and East meets West vortex of beauty and violence. And it's been penned by Aaron Hendry and Safi. So, yeah, that's uh, all we've really got at the moment for that one. That's um, a, that was a, I mean, it, it, it just doesn't sound like a Sion Sono film. But who knows? Let's let's wait and see. Yeah. Um, I, I'd wait until we get a trailer. And then we'll see, we'll see, what, oh. uh, see what we make of it. Let's wait and see if it actually happens. Yes, because I watched the because um, one of the things with the Whispering Star, I had the documentary of the, this is Sion Sono, and um, I never really experienced what he was like face to face before. Okay, <laughs> he's an interesting character. He's um, the fact that he's a filmmaker, he's only but one string to his bow, and he really thinks he's an artist, and uh, he seems. Barely, volatile's the wrong word, but a little, a little messed up. Maybe that's not as surprising as we might think. Okay, um... that could be an interesting combination between those two. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. But you know, sometimes crazy balances out crazy. I mean, as I said, we've looked at the lights of uh, when we look at the Herzog Kinski relationship, um, and to an extent, I mean since obviously the death of Kinski I mean Herzog's been trying to find his new Kinski I mean he did obviously rescue Dawn with Christian Bell um, he did uh, Port, of, Port of Authority Bad Lieutenant with, again with Nicolas Cage and got a really fantastic performance out of Cage in that one so I don't know I always uh, I always try to go off the principle that crazy balances out crazy so fingers crossed this, fingers uh, crossed anyway <laughs> Let's wait and see in 18 months' time what actually happens. The worst thing that happens, um, it flops and Sonner goes back to making films in his homeland. That's all. The, that's the worst thing that's going to happen. Which... Well, he'll probably end up making seven more films while he's making it, frankly. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but, uh, yeah, on to our selection for this evening. Um, I mean, this is... A, film chosen by you, Stephen. I mean, the film uh, The Place Promised in Our Early Days quite a mouthful of a title um as we said already this is directed by uh, makoto shinke who is probably best known at the moment for directing your name and a film i've yet to see i don't know if you've seen that one yet soon i saw it at the cinema so <laughs> just, um, and which is kind of the reason i chose this um 
Oh, I don't know if you want to do the summary, the plot summary first, and I'll get on to my reasons afterwards. Yes, but, uh... certainly. Um, well, I mean, the film itself it takes place over several years, and it's set in an alternate history where the Soviet Union has occupied half of Japan. Um, the film itself it follows two childhood prodigies, and they're also friends who, over the number of years, grow apart. Um, and one of them actually disappears, and this is all set amongst the backdrop of this international tension and this mysterious tower being built by the Union, which starts replacing matter around it with matter from other universes. Um, this is a weird mixture of... How can we put this? It's a coming-of-age drama with sci-fi twaddle. <laughs> I, I yeah, don't know. I... I might refer. I think we're coming at this from a slightly different point of view, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for alternate histories, and that's probably what what turned me on to it anyway. So what they're saying is, after World War Two, the Russians took over the sort of the northern is it Hokkaido island of Japan, and yes. the Americans kept control of the southern islands, and um, so sort of a North South Korea kind of thing, and. Uh, but that's your starting point, and then we sort of move to the modern day, or, or a few years ago, and um, and then that's the world we're in. I am a bit disappointed. It doesn't really do a lot with that. So that, to me, that's a fascinating premise where yeah. you could do all kinds of interesting things. Although it would be very interesting for a Japanese film to talk about being occupied when historically the Japanese have been the occupiers of various Asian countries. But anyway, that's by the by. So, so I was interested by the the alternate history but yeah I, I i watched your name at the cinema and it got really well reviewed but i actually knew the guy's work because i had some somebody sort of turned me on to his work um a few years ago so i've actually seen pretty much everything he's done and i just think he's a really interesting i guess maybe he's a little highbrow <laughs> working in the world of anime because you know as i say if not every episode most episodes i'm not really an anime guy but I do like sort of full-length features. But a lot of the tropes of anime I find a turn-off. Now, he's a guilty of a few of them, you know, the, the terms of character design. I think there's probably still a panty shot or something like that. But I sometimes think anime is is, is hurt by its, its reliance on certain tropes. I personally, and I feel the same about Mango, I find the, the pacing sometimes too fast for me to absorb. Well, that isn't going to be a problem with this one, is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, well, this one's about 90 minutes. Um, for myself, it felt like it ran an extra 30 minutes than that. It, um, Yeah, this is, uh, this is certainly an interesting one. I mean, we start, obviously, in 1996, and we're introduced to these two boys. We've got uh, Hiroki and Kira. And as we said already, these two guys, they're both uh, childhood prodigies, and to the point that they discover a drone plane, and they are working on it in their spare time in t to turn it into an actual plane. So this is the sort of mindset that these two boys are working at. And they're joined by a girl called uh, Sayer, and she joins them on this this little project they've got to obviously build this plane um from here we actually flash forward uh in time and 
we now return to the boys there, both grown up, and she is, uh, Sierra has uh, now fallen into a sleep coma, um, which really sort of serves as this catalyst for the two boys sort of coming back together. Um, the problem I have with this film is that it constantly feels like every time we jump to a new timeline, we're watching the introduction to a different film. It feels like you're constantly having this build up to a, um, you're just constantly having build ups to, or openings to different films, and nothing ever seemed overly coherent, and it just felt constantly complex for the sake of being complex. Certainly, if anything, this is a, this is a very slow burn movie, to say the least. Yeah, I wouldn't, I don't think it's its complexities that struggle. I think it's, I think its structure fails it. So as you say, the, sort of the first act is set, set it was, what was it, 1996, yeah. <clears throat> um, but it's sort of told in flashback. It's uh, the, sort of our main character is sort of reminiscing about the old days and um, about his friendship with um, with uh, Takoya and um, Sayuri. And then it literally sort of fades to black, and then it's three years later. And actually sort of spends so long exploring in exposition mode where it's sort of explaining what happened even though we didn't know anything happened it was if 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 we'd got to a point where she'd fallen into a coma and then jump forward yeah that would have been fine but we (laughs) we we find out she went into a coma in the blacked out you know there's things have happened that then they have to spend ages telling us happened and you know i know you don't always have to show you know, you can, but, but there's too much tell in this one, and um, I think I think it's a, it's a failure of the film's own structure that it has to spend so long explaining itself. The same's true of our sort of our, our sci-fi conceit of this this tower, which to start off with is this is this mystery. What is this big tower? What's it doing? And then what we'll have we'll have a twenty-minute discussion about alternate realities and overwriting our reality, but we don't really know anything why. No. We don't know how this happened. It's just a it's just a MacGuffin almost. And it turns out Sayuri is linked to it. But that comes from nowhere. Her grandfather worked on it or something, didn't he? But there's nothing there's nothing in our characters, there's nothing in Sayuri's character which gave us that. So we don't see you know, it it just it, it just seems it seems to be constantly explaining the plot. Yeah. Never giving any character development. And and, and all the while being a quite a, you know, it is a slow pace, slow burn. But I think you can mistake depth for bad bad design of the film, really. Mm. I mean, certainly the film is absolutely stunning to look at. The animation's really beautiful as well. And with this tower, I mean, this is, tower becomes like this obsession for the both boys. I mean, the whole reason they're building this place is so that it can fly to this tower. And. I mean, that was the idea I was fine with that. It's sort of like, you know, this this objective obsession that you're seeing off in the distance. But when we start adding all these alternate dimensions and physical properties to it, um, it just kind of got became overly confusing to it. I mean, the fact is that we've got the... The boys have got this sort of father figure, um, this guy who owns the workshop that they're building this plane in called Mr. Okabe. And... For some reason, they they're explaining this like high tech uh, sort of concept to him, and supposedly this layman, you know, everyday Joe, understands it perfectly. 
compared to the audience who still probably have no clue what's supposed to be going on in this. Um, at the same time, Mr. Mokabe, whenever he's like says he's going to do anything, it's constantly greeted with these shocks of sh- these uh, like gaps of shock and surprise from the other characters, and there's no reason why they are shocked at him saying anything at all. It's well, Mokabe is is the character I have the biggest problem with at all. Yeah, <clears throat> the film because um. You know, it starts off with he's he's like a side character. He happens to run the workshop that the boys work in the summer. So um, not earning cash, are they trying to earn spare parts yeah, from this, from this factory? To, um, it turns out he's the leader of the resistance. Oh, he's a terrorist leader or something, isn't it? In the second half, you think what the that's a bit of a coincidence. I mean, Sayuri's grandfather is a huge coincidence. This is just like what. And I'm all right. If it was just the second two thirds of the film, I'd probably be all right with it. I'd say, oh, you know. So it's a it's a it's a highbrow sci-fi film. There's a bit of talking in it, but the sort of the, the the first third to me does not match up with the second two thirds at all. And characters <laughs> just seem to change their reason for being. And I I felt there was a lot of explaining going on, but not enough explaining about what needed to be explained. If that makes sense. <laughs> Definitely, there's no. There's no rules to this this world. It's it throws all these ideas at you and expects you to go, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, and it's like, no, we you know we need some explanation. And certainly when we've seen other animes that have like explored sort of complex uh, concepts. I mean, obviously, we, I mean, just in the show alone, when we looked at uh, like Ghost in the Shell, you've got like things like Akira. Uh, which were both incredibly complex in their ideas, but managed to still put it across better than this film did. I mean, even more recently, if we look at someone like Paprika, the rules of that Paprika works in are very sort of clearly explained, but here it just seems like things are just constantly being made up on the fly, and there's so much, like, you know, phony, made-up science being thrown at you that you're supposed to somehow, like, go find yourself just sort of agreeing with it because it sounds just about right um, but it doesn't but it doesn't <laughs> the whole parallel universe thing doesn't even serve any purpose you know, it might as well have just been a giant bomb what <laughs> <laughs> why have this sort of crazy pseudoscience i guess it links a bit to the the dream state she's stuck in but um it just it just felt like I've got this really cool idea and I need to fit it into this completely different film and uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and and yeah watching it again I was thinking oh my god I was thinking Edward's going to hate this <laughs> when I watched it the first time I was in a different space um, I don't hate it yeah you know I, I think it you know it, it's a different pace and my god it's beautiful. You know, it's 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 glorious in terms of both the character work and some of the backgrounds are just stunning. You know, I'd I'd happily just have a you know a still of that as a as a as a as a picture. Um, but what I thought was interesting is this is his first full length feature. Up to here, he'd done short films and he'd done them all on his Mac. He'd been a one man band, and this is the first time he had been working with a studio. And if you look at the um, if you look at the credits at the end, you can clearly see it's been done by four different animation groups of which he's been directing it. But I, I, I do feel this is a, it's an example of sort of teething troubles working when you when you're like a the ultimate auteur, yeah, creating yeah. everything itself 
on your on your MacBook and moving to working towards a sort of a, a feature length studio type system. I think the bits didn't tie together, and um, I think maybe there were different elements probably got different priorities in the different parts of the film, which probably explains why it's a bit clumsy. But then you can work from here in 10, 15 years. He's taken to work to the point where he's made a, an international animated special. Not, we're not talking on Disney levels, but in Japan it is. Japan it's the biggest animated film ever, and it had a pretty good um, relationship with the box office around the rest of the world for, for, how, you know, for how many um, cinemas it got into. And to see his growth as a storyteller. Now, interestingly, I think your name's got some problems in the same way as well. So what I'm both seeing as an element of growth, I'm also seeing as a common flaw. I think I think um, I think your name also suffered a bit where it had to explain what was going on, um, but not to the degree this one does. Yeah. I mean, we, you said about him being like the ultimate auteur. I mean, here he's credited as writing, directing, producing, cinematography, edited, and storyboard in uh, the film. And I kind of help but wonder if perhaps he had, like, you know, given out a couple of those tasks to other people, perhaps it would have been a little more coherent. Um, that maybe you would have... You know, maybe throw the audience more of a bone than he he does here, especially when it gets into the more heavier stuff. And I kind of wish that we hadn't had all these constant jumps in time. I just kind of wish we stuck on one timeline or the other, or at least had he had taken the time to explain things better rather than just use exposition to explain everything. So we'd have have these long, drawn out speeches where characters for no reason are talking about the elaborate history of what's happened in the last three years um from when we sort of saw them as kids and it just it just uh it just lacked that flow and they've been sort of like really hang on to i mean there's certainly a couple of exciting moments in this but as you said soon i mean the tower itself is just essentially boiled down to a finger mcguffin by the end of the by the end of the film and uh I just, I just really struggle with this one, to be honest. It's yeah. I think, I think it ends strongly. I think the sort of, you know, we build, we, we suddenly it ramps up in terms of tension in the last twenty minutes or so. I and, think, I, I, I mean, uh, what, the, the tension of them flying, flying <laughs> to that is sort of like, uh, yeah, I, well, I, I know, know. Everything, every, everything in, in in relation to itself, it ramps up its own tension. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the um, and there's a bit of a heartbreaking bit where um, she's going, you know, when she does wake up, she, she she's going to lose all the memories that she's had of her time in the alternate dream world and her connection to um, the other fella. Yeah. During the times, so, but it, it's during the closing credits. <laughs> it's it's quite literally during the closing credits we get this this moment. You think, well, I've been ninety minutes here, so it's it's not one. It's not going to be one for everybody. It clearly wasn't for you. And I have to say, I understand my reasons for picking it. Um, and not every film we watch is going to be a a shoe in no. in every direction at all. Um, but I think it's interesting because for me, it it it's a not everything I find difficult about anime 
if that is not oh, so. Oh, definitely. I think this is a... I mean, yes, it's using an anime styling uh, to tell the tell this story, but at the same time, it's a very grounded story, um, which I think would certainly appeal to people who don't like the more fantastic and more exaggerated elements that the anime style obviously comes with. Um, you mentioned already about the fan service problems. and I mean, that is... It is a jarring issue of anime, and it certainly makes it harder to say that you are an anime fan when it's something that that often wrongly sort of plagues titles. I mean, there's a number of titles that didn't need the amount of fan service that thrown in there. Others, such as like Kill la Kill, really sort of make a bit of a joke about it and uh, incorporate it that way. And and to that effect, I think it's it, that's great. But yeah, I mean, this is as I said, this is a more grounded. Uh, sort of anime tale that I think a lot of people would be used to. Um, I can't say it makes me really want to sort of rush out and see the rest of Shinkei's sort of filmography. Um, I've, I mean, you mentioned already it is, is done in anime, and it certainly is, but I think at the same time, if I want to look at beautiful anime, I'd much rather go down the route and look at like Satoshi Kon's work um, over obviously like the work of uh, Shinkei but I mean that's just my personal preference and I'm sure there are a number of fans of this uh, film out there you know no doubt clucking their tongs and stroking their beards as they listen to me not be able to get to grips with this highbrow anime but you know that's their opinion at the end of the day and as you said you can't like everything no no, you can't I mean it is it is, it is a very well loved film I think it's an incredibly flawed one and it's very well reviewed you know, we're talking four out of fives, nine out of tens across the board. I know. But I, I know. Who is, but, it, who is giving it, it that rating, though? I mean, these navel gaving, coffee drinking, played wearing hipsters, but. <laughs> oh, they seem to be all the anime. <laughs> I was checking it out because I was thinking, was I wrong to like this before? No. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think I was. Um, but I can. I'm seeing it as a historical document to something else um it's there are other things if you watch his other films you'll see his love of trains <laughs> every film's got a train sequence in it <laughs> which is um something again which only became very clear when we watching this i mean obviously we'll talk about alternate picks in a minute and i'm going to pick i'm going to suggest some other of his work but uh, it's a start point but i'm what i realize now is is that it's not a start point that's going to grab you and make you want to go and hunt for more it's um it's more like you, you, the the later films are infinitely better, but if you like the visuals, I think you could be hooked on it. Yeah, I mean, there's anything else you kind of want to bring up on this one? I'm uh... no, I think we can. I think we can agree that you didn't like it, and I was a bit disappointed that I'd chosen it. <laughs> but uh, no. we shouldn't. But but I think it, it, it's it's better than that. But um. Uh, that's why I'm not the anime guy. <laughs> I think I think if people obviously, I would love to hear from anyone who, from people who did like this. I mean, if, please do let us know your comments in either uh, any of our many sources. You can leave it on you know Facebook or Twitter, or you can go on to uh, go onto our blog, or you can even uh, go onto thatmomentin.com and uh, our, uh, leave us some uh, comments and let us know what you thought of this film. Because I love to obviously hear what people thought about it and uh, you know tell me what I'm not getting at this film if you did uh, obviously enjoy this and I think it, yeah it's obviously good that you know while we can't obviously like every 
thing that we look at. I think it's good at the same time that we obviously highlight um, films films like this on the show because obviously it is so different from other anime um, in terms of like storytelling and style. Um, and I think that's certainly what makes it still a valid a valid uh, discussion point for tonight. Oh, absolutely! It'd be lovely to hear from some people and and all, and, and other opinions. Um, maybe people want to convince me other places to look to try and convince me that um, anime is something I should spend more time with. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, before we obviously get on to our uh, further viewing, um, obviously we'd like to say, encourage you as always to uh, definitely follow us on Facebook or Twitter or uh, you can also now check out the whole of the That Moment In podcast network via Spotify. Uh, if you type in that moment in, it will come up and you can listen to all the shows on the That Moment In podcast network. Not only ourselves, but you can also listen to Cinema Recall. You can listen to video game reviews from from Game Warp. And you can also uh, check out the cult uh, TV ramblings of uh, TV Good Sleep Bad. So there's a wide range of shows on there and it's uh, definitely worth checking out if you've uh, got Spotify. Uh, the network as always is also available both on iTunes and Podomatic as well. Um, so uh, please make sure you hit the subscribe buttons and uh, like and uh, leave us some comments as it all helps raise the profile of the show. Um, as well, if you want to listen to any old episodes of uh, this show you can do via checking out our blog which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com and uh, on there you can find the complete archive of all our shows today um but further viewing now i mean what would you pair this one with i mean this is certainly one of the more challenging films i've had to try and come up with further viewing for but um i think you've got something of you am i thinking well, I've got a couple. So one is if you know if if you did see this or you know this and you want to explore the um, the director's work even further, um, it is it, it the, the obvious endpoint is your name, which is a love story body swap swap story with a little bit of a twist and actually a a real proper threat involved and it's hard to explain but it's 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 basically a story of a boy and a girl one lives in rural japan one lives in the in tokyo and one day they wake up in each other's bodies um and they experience life differently in the in the in the opposite worlds obviously they get to know each other from experience each other's clothes and lives and bedrooms and things like that and they fall in love but there's a little twist there's a little bit it's not just they're not just um, physically swapping bodies. There's a little bit more to it as well. And then there's a proper threat at the end. And, and for me, I thought it was I thought it was really good. I don't think it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. You know, it's no Studio Ghibli or anything like that. Um, so I'd go for your name. Although it's well worth checking out, if you don't mind the slower pace, um, five centimetres a second, or the children who chase lost voices. Not so much the Garden of Words, which is just beautiful, but far too short. Um, but... If I was going for another anime, which I'd recommend, which is definitely in the science fiction realm, but has a beautiful design, would be uh, Osamu Tezuka's Metropolis, which um, is a takes a sort of a a, a sci-fi setting, um, vague understanding 
or an influence of um, the original Metropolis uh, silent film, Fritz Lang's Metropolis, but um, there's something interesting and new and different with it and sort of takes some of the, the ideas and the themes and, and does more. And I think it's a beautifully designed film visually. It's interesting falls that you know was tropes again but it doesn't actually look like so I'd, yeah I'd, I'd go for either your name or Metropolis fantastic um, for myself um, I'm actually going to do a Ghibli film and uh, that is The Wind Rises from 2013 probably one of the more personal films from um, Hayao Miyazaki this is a autobiographical film of the Famous aircraft designer, Jiro uh, Hirokoshi, and it follows him obviously from his, from as a boyhood obsessing over flight um, to becoming a plane designer in particular, having to deal with the consequences of his creations being used in war. It's a really interesting film, and as I said, it's a very personal film uh, for Miyazaki, who's obviously upset has an obsession with flying machines so this seemed like the absolutely sort of perfect film for him to work on and it's certainly as i said before it's a more grounded film than we've come to expect obviously from Shiro Ghibli who work often within that more sort of fantastical um sort of realm so to see them do something like this um and which would obviously lead on to things such as like the red turtle it's a it's a really interesting change of pace and it's certainly keeps a lot of the studio ghibli style um but at the same time keeps it sort of grounded by obviously having it within this um biopic sort of setting really that's an interesting choice that's one of the few ghibli films i haven't actually seen um i do own it i've just never got around to watching it i think um some of the later era stuff i really haven't got around to one to, to watching understanding so i'll certainly be checking it out thanks to your recommendation but yeah i mean that obviously well we're essentially brings on to the end of our show for tonight uh we hope you've enjoyed listening and um as always and uh as for our next selection we're going to be going a little bit lighter as we go back to 1989 um for some hong kong action courtesy of mr john Wu as we're going to be looking at the Chinese fat classic, The Killer. The Killer, this is obviously one of John Woo's sort of standout films, um, along with the likes of A Better Tomorrow and Hard Bold. Um, and this is obviously also produced by uh, Sue Hawk. So it's one of those films that I think set for many people sort of like the template of what Hong Kong action films were. And I'm... Really excited to uh, go back and, and uh, revisit. And uh, Stephen, I think this is the first time watching for yourself from right and saying. It will be. I have some funny blind spots in my viewing of Asian cinema, as we brought up in an early episode. And John Woo is one of them. Uh, I haven't... I, I, other than um, Red Cliff. Other than Red Cliff, I hadn't really seen many of his... Hong Kong films. I've seen his work in um, in the states, and I've never been a big fan. But you did get me a few months ago interested, and so I actually do have a copy of The Killer, and so this will be a good chance to watch. I like um, Chow Young Fat, so that's not going to be any huge shame. But I'll, I'll be interested to see how this heroic bloodshed goes down this time for me. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not only... I mean, it's Cherry and Fat and John Woo. Like, that sort of pairing, it's sort of like Scorsese and De Niro, or perhaps to a lesser extent, Scorsese and uh, DiCaprio. It's, you know, it's one of those uh, director-actor sort of pairings um, that whenever you have the them together, you just know that something fantastic is going to appear on the screen, and certainly is the case here. I mean, this is... Uh, both actors sort of like really doing many of the bring to screen many of the things which obviously we now associate with uh, with them and certainly The Killer is one of those sort of standout films especially for fans of like Hong Kong action cinema I think it was really one of those um, one of those films which really helped bring a lot of attention to Hong Kong action cinema and it would obviously go on to influence a lot of key directors who when you see their films, you can see the influence that, that they took away from like uh, these sort of films, and which are like directors such as like Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Johnny Toe, um, and uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's one that's going to be uh, fun to fun to discuss, and certainly a little lighter than uh, this uh, episode selection. But but uh, as always, we uh, we love to hear your thoughts on. Uh, on uh, tonight's selection as well as any films that we uh, cover and uh, if you've got any thoughts on The Killer please do let us know and we'll, uh, we'll read them out in the next episode yeah as I said that brings us to the episode, end of this uh, episode thank you as always to my co-host Stephen it's a pleasure as always um, obviously if people want to come and find you on the internet where's the best place to come and find you Okay, on the interwebs, you can find my writings at both easternkicks.com and guelloramblings.wordpress.com. And if you want to get hold of me direct, let's settle on Twitter for the moment. You can find me on at LPVO. Okay, um, as for myself, I'm at Elwood underscore Jones. Um, we do obviously have our own uh, Twitter feed on there as well, so uh, you can follow us there. Um, of course, check out our home base, thatmomentin.com, uh, where you can find all our episodes as well. You can uh, also check out our blog, um, which is asiacinemafilmclub.wordpress.com as well, which will also contain that full archive as well. Um, but uh, whether you're listening to us on Podomatic or iTunes or Spotify, make sure you hit those uh, like or subscribe buttons. And, uh, you know, leave us a review, leave us a rating. It really does help uh get the show out there and help reach a bigger audience so uh, thank you uh, as always for listening and uh, we will be back next time we're looking at uh, John Woo's The Killer きのうのあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が降るだけ散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ胸に刺さった恋の刃が
יולי מה נוסף? 